Praise God. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. We've taken a break here and there uh, just for Father's Day and other things. Uh, but as we've been working our way through, we see the church in motion, right? As they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We've seen all those stories. And now, Acts chapter 17, now we're really getting into that other parts of the world. So now, not just Asia, modern-day Turkey, but now we're going into Macedonia. Uh, we were in Philippi here uh, a couple weeks ago. And now we are going to go on to some new territory, Thessalonica. That's how you say that. All right. And then Berea. So um, we're going to look at that and just how God, we're going to look at Paul's pattern. He goes to the Jewish synagogues first, and then he would go to the Gentiles when they would kind of kick them out and he'd lose his welcome, right? He would go to the Gentiles. Paul was called to be a light to the Gentiles. Why did he go to the Jewish people first? He just did it out of respect because they, he saw them as God's people. And, and so he would go to them first and then he would go to the Gentiles. All right. And we're going to look at how we should approach God's word. Okay. And so you're going to notice there was a, something that made the Bereans distinct and that made them stand out uh, from other people that Paul ministered to. So that's what we're going to kind of uh, zero in on this morning. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God, that it is alive for us to change and transform our life. And we pray that that would happen this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us by your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 17, 1 through 15. We're going to read that. We're going to read that all in one. Uh, read that all together. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to pull out a few points there. So... When Paul and his companions had passed through, yes, there, Anaphylasis, right, or something like that, and Anapololia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a Jewish synagogue, and as was custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So it's just interesting how Luke kind of designates and mentions some of these distinct people. But other Jews were jealous, and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed into Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. So Jason may, was a convert, and so they tried to go in there and to apprehend Paul in order to bring them out to the crowd. Verse 6, but they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they have come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. And they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they had heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond, and they let them go. Verse 10. And as soon as it, was, as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So you see that pattern again. And now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. So that's where we title the message um, a more, uh, 
the noble pursuit there, a noble pursuit. And as a result, many them believed. Uh, they, they had an eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. And as a result, many believed, as did the number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went to, went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Our first point here is that we're going to see, I want us to look at verses 2 through 3 uh, of this, that as Paul went into the synagogue and he shared with them, right, that Jesus was the Messiah and that he rose from the dead, it says that he explained to them from the Scriptures, right? From the Scriptures. What's the Scriptures? Well, Scripture refers to the writings that were considered sacred because they contained divine revelation. Now, for them, maybe it was the Law of Moses and the Prophets, okay? So your first five books of the Bible would consider the Law of Moses, and you have your prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, right? Um, But then you even had the writings of some of the Gospels and Paul's writings. Some of those were still in development. Maybe some of them was, have, had been written, but some of those were still in development. But he explained from the scriptures, and by this I'm assuming that it was, he was going to the scriptures that the Jewish people were familiar with, right? So primarily probably Old Testament, but he was showing them from the Old Testament itself that, hey, this talks about Jesus the Messiah. You guys missed it. He had to suffer. He had to die on the cross for our sins. And the first thing that we see here is that God's word, the scriptures, is the foundation of all doctrine and all teaching. Paul could have reasoned, he could have told them his own thoughts, his own revelations. He could have told them, hey, this is what this book says, this is what this book says. But he reasoned with them from the scriptures, right? From God's word. He went to the scriptures. You know, there's a lot of helpful books and tools that we can utilize, but all of our doctrine, and doctrine is just a fancy word of saying teachings, all of our doctrine and teachings must be grounded on Scripture, right? You know, we can come across people that say, oh, yeah, you know, I had this revelation or I had uh, this great new teaching, but if it doesn't tie into God's Word, we cannot base our teaching or doctrine upon that. So here's some key verses. We've been covering some of these on Wednesday night. All Scripture, this is 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. So Paul's telling this to Timothy. This would probably be one of the latter books, that letters he would write before Paul would die. But he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it is given to us by the Holy Spirit. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking. And we all like that part, right? We really love it when the Word of God steps on our toes, but we need that. Correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant to God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then this is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. So Peter says, hey, I, we're not just getting other people's report here. I was there, right? He's going to list some of the examples. When we received honor and glory from the Father, the voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son, in whom brings me glory. Where was that at? 
where did Peter witness that at? Where? The baptism of Jesus, right? Peter was there. Verse 18, we ourselves also heard the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain, right? When's that? That's the transfiguration, right? Peter, James, and John are with Jesus there, and then you have uh, Moses and Elijah show up. We ourselves heard that voice in that holy mountain. Verse 19, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they have wrote. For their words were, not, were like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the Christ, the morning star, shines in your heart. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came about by a prophet's own understanding. These men were not writing just their own thoughts, their own ideas. They were writing, verse 21, they weren't writing from a human initiative or understanding. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Uh, And so what we have here today, or we have here, right, is gone through a process where to evaluate and understand what is Scripture and what is not. And uh, that is what we base our doctrine and teaching upon. You know, just to, to prove that it was not their own understanding or their own initiative, Jeremiah was kind of referred to as the reluctant prophet, right? There's times he did not want to speak the word of God because he'd end up in a pit, right? Or he, he was abused or persecuted. But this is what he says in 20, verse 9. He says, but if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, His word burns in my heart like a fire. That's like a fire in my bones, and I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. It was the word of God that was in him that he proclaimed to the people, really, that didn't want to hear the message that he had to share. He was trying to prepare them to turn their hearts away from sin so that they wouldn't be sent off into exile, but they would not receive the message. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It guides and directs us. It is our teaching. And it is upon that that all, the whole of Scripture must be, um, our teaching must be based upon the whole of Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you one example of that. And I say the whole of Scripture. Why do I say the whole of Scripture? Because you can take one verse from Scripture and make a teaching out of it. And some places have done that. All right, go to Mark chapter, keep your finger there if you want to. Mark chapter 16, I have to do that. I'm going to have to go back to Mark chapter 16, 9 through 20. Now, if you have a physical copy of God's Word, um, you'll see that that section begins and it says there's probably something in italics that says what? This part is not included in the most earliest and ancient manuscripts. All right? And, you know, and I've heard people say, oh, you know, we're getting liberal, we're cutting out Scripture. Well, what, what you have to realize is that we don't have the original copy of Mark or Jeremiah or Isaiah. They were written on scrolls, most of them were. And so what we have is copies of copies, and we have some very old ones, and they've taken those, and they have certain, uh, a Hebrew one and a Greek one. They have those, and they all line up, and they're very accurate, but... They have in the, in the later ones, sometimes when, you know, they weren't copied on the copier machine, right? Or a printing press. 
These were handwritten, and so they think that maybe in the later stages, some people kind of added on their own thoughts at the end, all right? And so that's why they go with the earliest and the shortest, usually, manuscripts as seen as the most accurate, all right? And an example of this, so just read through this together. It says, verse 9, when they rose early from the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the one who was driven out seven demons. She went and told all who had been with him and were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive, that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Okay, Luke records that. Verse 13, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the leaven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who um, had seen him after he had risen. So those things are recorded in the other Gospels. Verse 15, then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, John 3.16, recorded there. And also, um, Matthew, the end of Matthew, right? The Great Commission. Verse 17, all these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. Some of them say deadly snakes. And they will drink deadly poison, and they will not hurt them at all. And they'll place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. And after Jesus had spoken these things to them and he was taken up into heaven, he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied or followed. Now, would I preach from this passage? Yes, I would on most of it. Okay, on most of it I would. Why? Because it is based on the whole of Scripture. The Great Commission is also found in Matthew. And most of these things are recorded in the other Gospels. So when we talk about the whole of Scripture... But there is one or a couple statements there that aren't necessarily found in the whole of Scripture, right? What is it? It's what Jill likes. She loves snakes, right? 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 They, you will pick up deadly snakes and they will not harm you. And then also drinking the deadly poison will harm you. Do I believe that God can protect us? Absolutely. We know that Paul, on his missionary journey going to Rome, he goes into the making the fire, the thicket, the viper bites him, and they all expect him to fall over dead, and he doesn't. And then they think, wow, there's, you know, he's a god, right? Um, but God does some great miracles there, okay, in the days that follow. Um, so we do believe in God's protection, right? Deadly poison, I don't think that's ever found anywhere in Scripture, but according to church tradition, John the Apostle they would try to kill him by drinking poison, but guess what? It didn't work, and so they exile him to the island of Patmos. That's where he writes the book of Revelation, right? Um, maybe, maybe whoever finished this out and transcribed this maybe included some of those details. So I wouldn't have any problems preaching on this, but I wouldn't preach probably on those two things and make them a doctrine. And now if you go out to the eastern part of the United States, the Appalachian Mountains or Appalachian Mountains, Okay. I think out there they call it Appalachian. Um, they actually have some churches that this is part of their core teaching where they will handle snakes on a Sunday morning, right? Yeah, some of you would like that and some of you would find it in another church, all right? Um, so that is a, a case where we, when we look at Scripture, we want to, all of our core teachings have to be founded on not just one occurrence within scripture but on the whole of scripture all right 
And oftentimes, Old and New Testament or in other accounts. Amen? Okay? So don't just take one scripture and, and run with it. Um, but find out what scripture has to say there. All right. Number two, let's look at verse 11. And I have to go back here. Verse 11. So G- Paul then goes from Thessalonica. He wears out his welcome there. He goes to Berea. But verse 11 says, Now the Bereans were more of more noble character than those from Thessalonica. Why is that? Well, first of all, they had a hungry heart towards the Word of God. There was an eagerness to receive what Paul had to say. So that second principle is approach God's Word with a hungry heart. That idea of being more noble in the original language means that they had higher, elevated character normally associated with social nobility. They received the Word of God with eagerness. That word eagerness means to have a lively interest in something or a cheerful accommodation to it. Sometimes it's that open, being open-minded and wanting to receive what is being said, right? And uh, I can, you know, when I'm up here preaching, I can tell, you know, I can tell those who are eager and those that are, uh, that, um, you know, were up too late last night, all right? <laughs> right? All right? I, you can tell. You can tell. And when I've taught on my missions trips, you can tell the eagerness or lack of it when you're, when you're talking to people. They had an eagerness for the Word of God. You know, Psalms 119 says, 103, How sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth. Think about the people who followed Jesus and heard the teachings of Jesus and how they would take a whole day to travel to a location out in the country to hear what Jesus had to say. And they didn't have a sound system. They did their best with what they had. They didn't, definitely didn't have lights. They, didn't, they were out in the elements, whether it's the heat, the wind. Um, it often meant traveling by foot or, or uh, maybe if they had a donkey or whatever. But it probably involved their whole day to go out there and to hear what Jesus had to say. But there was a hunger there to hear the word of God, unlike the, the um, Sadducees, right? Um, they just didn't have that hunger for God, right? So lastly, I want us to look at, not only did they have a hunger, but they also had one other thing. The last part of 11, they had a hunger for the word of God, great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So the final principle there is to be a student of God's word. So not only did they have the open mind, but they had an intellectual conviction to study the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Right? And I hope you do that when I preach and teach, right? You know, every once in a while I'm a little facetious, right? And I'll say something, right? But I really do hope that you also are studying the scripture along with me, right? Now, George is in the children's church. I think she's been the only one that sometimes she'll listen, especially when she was helping with children's ministry, you know, she'll listen to the message and she'll take notes and, and she'll ask me questions. I've said, you said this? And so she gets clarification. She, she really studies it and then she'll say, hey, you know, she'll ask questions. We should all do that with what we are being taught. We should be a student of God's word, right? Just because I say it doesn't mean that you should just absorb it without doing your own work. Does that make sense? 
And that, that goes true from anything that you hear on TV, radio, others. Um, Paul says to Timothy again in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. So that falls on me if, as a pastor, but also if you are teaching, you have to do your work that you are doing your best to share the word of God, rightly handing, handling the word of truth. So I take that pretty seriously. But I still want you to do your work in being a student of God's word. Um, Paul says in Ephesians four eleven through 16, now these are the gifts that God gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to do all the work of the church. Is that what it says? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church. Sometimes we get that switched around in our American culture, don't we? The body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son and we'll all be made mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll be no longer immature like children, and we won't be tossed and blown away with every wind and new teaching. Okay? But we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so they so clever that they sound like the truth. That was an, often a problem that Paul would have to address were false teaching. Instead, verse 15, he says, we speak truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, his church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So as a pastor, one of my jobs is to not only preach the Word of God, but also equip you to be a student of God's Word, right? Um, why? Because Psalms 119 again says, verse 130, the unfolding of your Word, of the Word of God, gives light. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. So how can we be a good student of God's Word? And usually once a year I talk a little bit about it. I'm not going to take a ton of time, but... Um, I've been on the Wednesday night class, we've been talking a little bit about that, but you need to get a Bible that you love. Now, I don't want to start off too obvious, but it is true. You need to get a Bible that you love. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, you have to be able to read it. So you need a good translation, NIV, NLT, ESV. Now, if you're a new, cre new Christian, NLT is a good translation. It's fairly accurate. It's easy to read. It's easy to understand. It's a good translation. Um, if you're a little more student and a little bit further along, maybe you want the ESV. It's very good for Bible study. It's very accurate. Um, um, I grew up on the NIV, so that's sometimes what I usually preach out of. But all those are good translations. But you need to find one that works for you. Okay, King James Version worked very good you know, back in its day, right? They used those words. And maybe that's what you grew up with, so maybe that is still a good fit for you, or maybe you go to the new King James, right? But if you grew up in the King James, maybe that's just where you need to be. But you need to have a good translation. I even like, I think you need to find one that you like how it looks. Because if you like how it looks, how it feels, there's a better chance that you're going to pick it up and read it. Amen? Um, I'm a big fan of study Bibles, so this is an ESV study Bible. I just brought it up there. Maybe you don't know what the difference is. Well, it, it not only has a concordance in there, but it also has the references there. 
so you can cross-reference in Scripture. It has all that that sometimes a lot of Bibles do. Not all Bibles include that, though. Cross-reference just says, hey, if it's talking about faith in this verse, I can look at that little letter there. You know, you ever wonder what those little letters are? Well, it helps you to cross-reference and find out, oh, here's another passage that talks about faith, right? But a study Bible helps you out, and then it's going to give you information on, hey, this is who wrote the book. This is when they wrote it. This was who they were writing it to, uh, maybe some of the themes that are in the book. But then also there's some study notes that help you out and say, oh, this is what this passage is talking about. It's kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Well, you wouldn't if, unless you knew all the history that was there and the culture of that day. We wouldn't know that unless we did a lot of work. So a study Bible can really help you in getting into that process. Um, I'm, I like the ESV study Bible. There's also the Spirit-filled and the Spirit-life study Bibles that kind of maybe from a more Pentecostal charismatic perspective help us. Because there's some passages in Scripture, like in Corinthians, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, that maybe an evangelical one maybe wouldn't quite capture what we would like to see there. All right? Um, so the, the study notes are not inspired, Okay. They, they aren't, but they can be helpful in us understanding God's Word, all right? And it'll save you a lot of money. You don't have to go out and buy a bunch of commentary sets like I have in there that um, now it's all on my computer, right? Okay? Um, so those are some, some ways, but become a student of God's Word. So my Wednesday night class, they've all, some of them have got new Bibles, right? They, they'll show them off to you today, Janet and Cheryl. They'll show them off to you. They even got, you even got matching ones, didn't you? Yes, yeah, they even got them. So they were getting them broken. Um, very proud of them. So even being a student of God's Word, one of the things that I, I preach in a more of an expository sense, but that means that I come to God's Word and I, I find out what the context. Who, who was the author and who was he writing to? Okay, why was he writing what he was writing? I have to be able to understand that first but before I can say, hey, this is what it means to me. All right? Um, that's important. I think too many times people read the Bible devotionally, okay, not understand the biblical passage. So I'm going to be very, um, I don't know if it's sarcastic, facetious. But some people would say, go, oh, Judas went out and hung himself, right? See, they go, go like this, Judas went out and hung himself, and then you know what comes next, right? They go, go and do likewise. Both of those are found in Scripture, right? But that's reading the scripture very devotionally and not understanding the context there, right? Uh, it's very much humor there. Please take it with that. But being a student of God's word, God's word means I'm getting in there, I'm understanding it. I have to understand what is being said to the audience before I can take it and apply it to me. Um, One of my, the passage, Jeremiah, and somebody can help me out with this. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That's Jeremiah. Anybody know the chapter? 29. Yes, 29. So I love that passage, and a lot of you have quoted it. A lot of times people quote it, right? Was that God's word to you? No. Who was it to? It was to God's people, right? They were coming out of exile, okay? Coming out of exile. And Jeremiah's writing to them, and he says, but I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, right? And bless you. 
That was a message to them. Now, is there a message for us in there? I think there is. I think the message is that even when we go our own way and we sometimes fail, it's God's covenant love there, again, that it's reaching out to us. And that he does have plans for our life. And that he does want to bless us. And even sometimes in the painful moments of our life, it's not about, he's not punishing us. In fact, he has a plan and a purpose for our life. Amen? So to me, when you understand the background of it, it has even more power than if we just read it devo- what I call devotionally, where we, we take every word as if God is speaking it to me. All right? Get, be a student of God's word and understand what is being said. I'm going to have the musicians come. And uh, Jill, you're going to have to race. No, I'm just teasing. All right. As we engage God's word, it will correct us, it'll transform us, it'll guide us, equip us, it'll encourage us. Um, God's word is a revelation to us, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I, I remember just even as growing up in the church, I had that opportunity of growing up in the church, but I remember um, the pastor that I just remember and have the most memories of would be uh, Don Wildman. I don't know if you ever knew Don. Um, Don Wildman, but um, I think he was more of a teaching pastor, and maybe that's where I kind of get maybe some of my um, characteristics that way as far as a teaching pastor. But I remember as a young kid on a Sunday night church memorizing the books, uh, not the books, but the churches of Asia that are recorded in Revelation, right? And he would challenge me that. He had all boys too, so maybe he knew that we needed that challenge or whatever. But I remember engaging God's Word and just the Wednesday night classes, we would have the Foundations of Faith course. We'd memorize Scripture. And the Sunday school classes, we'd engage in that. Um, was I a perfect kid? No, I was a boy. And I was, you know, I had a sinful heart at times, right? I'm not going to tell you all the things I did. But God's Word was able to guide and direct my heart and change my heart. Um, As we engage God's word, it will change our lives. It'll transform it. And uh, too many of our Bibles today sit on the bookshelf or someplace, right? And it can't jump from there into here, right? We have to open it up and read it and engage it. And you need to have a time that you allow that to happen, whether it's morning, evening, middle of the day. But there needs to be that time where you give, you dedicate, and you read God's scripture, and you say, God, now speak to me by your Holy Spirit, and you engage it. And you can read the Bible through in a year. Those, that's a great program. Um, I, I just take a smaller passage, and I just kind of dissect it, and I enjoy doing that, kind of do a little gold digging and find those nuggets of truth that speak to me. And, uh, you know, when you do that, there's just some beautiful pictures that come out. You know, the one psalm that says, commit your way to the Lord, right? Commit your way to the Lord. See the Proverbs or Psalms, I should have that memorized. Proverbs 25, commit your way to the Lord. So that word commit, that word commit in the Hebrew means to roll on to. Commit, roll on to God. Your plans your prayers, your requests. And he's going to carry them for you, right? That's a beautiful picture. The idea of just uh, rolling it onto God's shoulders, committing it to Him. Too often we carry it ourselves, right? 
um, study God's Word. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to close with this course. It's a little bit older one. But it says, I'm hungry, right? Some of you may be hungry right now for food. But is there a hunger in your heart for God's Word? If it's not, I'm just going to encourage you to say, God, you know, give me that hunger. Maybe it's like Brussels sprouts to you, right? All right? Maybe you had never eaten Brussels sprouts. I never ate Brussels sprouts. Now I like them, right? They're good. Or avocados. I never used to eat avocados. I don't know, they're green. I just never ate them, right? And then I went on a missions trip to Belize, and that's what I had for breakfast, these huge avocados. I found out, you know what, they're pretty good, right? And I enjoyed them. Um, Want to develop a hunger for God's Word, take little bits of it, and just increase your appetite for it. It'll grow. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning we just come before you. One of the main truths in Scripture is that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God, if that's anyone watching this morning and anyone here, Lord God, maybe we've been in church, maybe we've heard the message, but today our heart is open and you're speaking to us. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. It begins that journey of walking with you and making you the Lord of our life. So if that's us today, Lord God, if we make that prayer our own, you will come in, you will abide, you'll forgive of sin, you'll cleanse and purify. So God, if there's anyone here, Lord, let us take that step this morning. And Lord God, I pray for everyone else. Lord God, I just pray that you'd give us a hunger for your word. Lord God, it is, it shapes and transforms us, it corrects us, it makes us mature in you, Lord God. And so, Lord God, give us a hunger and help us to dedicate that time, Lord, of seeking you in prayer and the study of your word, Lord God. Because it's those times, those moments that our hearts are changed, Lord God. Our, our Sunday gatherings are important. Our small groups are important. But, Lord God, they're not a substitute for our daily study of God's word. And so, Lord God, allow us to engage it and for it to change our lives. We ask in your name. Lord, this morning, give us a hunger for you. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to spend those times with you, Lord, to know you, to walk with you, Lord. To know you with all of our heart. Go with us this week, Lord God. Let us be salt and light to the world around us. Lord God, let the treasure that is within us, Lord God, just be so evident to the world around us. Your spirit, your joy within us. The passion for you, Lord. And Lord God, if that fire is, is dim, fan it into flame, we pray. Lord, we give you the thanks, we give you the praise. Bless our fellowship that follows. And go with us this week. We give you the thanks, we ask in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise God.
Jesus, God. God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave.